You are now tuned into Shotgun Sports USA. Powered by Winchester. Recorded in the U.S. And streaming all over the world. We talk to shotgun shooters from all disciplines, championship winning coaches, gun clubs, world-class target setters, vendors, and industry-leading companies that fuel the sport. If you are into clay target sports, you are at the right place. For insider information from some of the best in the world every single week. Remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and connect with us on social media. You can also catch our episodes on ShotgunSportsUSA.com. Being a brand name in the clay target industry, Rick Hemingway has said, Have you ever noticed almost all major sporting events are being run by pro-matic traps? Think about that statement for a minute. He's right, and you may want to consider that before making your next purchase. Rick is the largest Promatic dealer specializing in individual and commercial trap sales. Rick provides skeet, trap, five stamp, and sporting clays, designs, installs, and service. He also offers accessories such as solar panels, wireless release systems, as well as the hottest item on the market, the Claybot by Renair Products. Visit www.backwoodsquailclub.com or give him a call at 843-546-546. 1466. The Double D Foundation, launched by Daniel Defense Executive Vice President Cindy Daniel, is a product of a vision. Like all charitable organizations, the Double D Foundation has a purpose to protect the Second Amendment by growing the number of Americans involved in shooting sports who understand the fundamentals of firearm safety and who share the core belief that the Second Amendment defends the rest. For more information, visit the DoubleDFoundation.org. Castellani shooting vests are manufactured in Italy and internationally recognized by elite shooters as the most popular, lightweight shooting vests on the market. Castellani vests are especially known for their Italian styling and superior craftsmanship and quality, making them a vest of choice for all shooting disciplines. Ultimate Shooting Accessories is the exclusive supplier of Castellani vests in the United States. Visit ultimateshootingaccessories.com for more information and to place your order. My guest today has won some of the most prestigious titles you can win. He is a World Cup winner in FeeTask, a European champion and a European Cup winner. He is also a multiple-time champion in the English Open in sporting in FeeTask. He has won the British Open, the British Grand Prix, the UK FeeTask Championship, and he is a multiple-time winner of the Essex Masters. He is now the 2021 World Sporting Champion and one of the best in the world. I'm glad to have him on the show with me. Please welcome Mark Windsor. Mark, welcome to the show. How you been, man? 
But Justin, nice to uh, nice to come on again. You know, two years I, down the line. Yeah, I try to keep up with you guys on social media over there, but I miss a lot of it. So, what you been up to lately? Oh, late, lately, well, I've just uh, as you know, I've just won the uh, the, the World English Sporting yep. over here and uh, in, in EJ. So. Um, perfect time to come on and talk about that a little bit. That's right. So you mentioned the world sporting. All right, you won that 2021, which is a first for you. Mm-hmm. But, but you have definitely been in contention for this title before. How is this special for you? It's. I mean, th- this is uh, special in quite a few ways, really. I mean, the, the first one is, as we just touched on there, in, in 2018, I came very, very close in a, in a real tense shoot-off with uh, with another UK guy, one of our top sh- shots over here, Richard Bunning. Mm-hmm. Um, we was all we was all in a six-man super final um, back then, and uh, me and him got down to the wire. We tied, and then it was a very tense sudden death shoot-off, which went two stands worth, I think, before um, he got the jump on me by two targets, I think. So uh, I lost it. Well, I didn't lose anything. I, I, I gained a lot out of that. Coming second is, in my opinion, it's 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 equally as good as a win because it just shows you that you're the top the top two guys doing battle someone's got to lose someone's got to win so um so this year was nice i mean a few years later i actually got the title um exactly in the same place as we shot off for in 2018 so it came back around took a few years but we got it eventually when you started this super final you weren't in the league were you no, I was actually two two targets behind um, one of our young guys called James Bradley Day. He's an awesome shot. He's uh, I don't actually know how old he is. I, I think he's like very early twenties. Um, re- really nice guy, you know. Really, really good, great shot. Absolutely going to be a high achiever in the sport uh, in years to come. Um, so he was he was actually leading it on a one nine two. Uh, I, I was sat second for a long time um, in 190, and then one of my uh, my friends from up here in Yorkshire, he he came in on one of the last rotations and jumped in between us on a 191. So that made it for a uh, an interesting super final. So I was actually sat right in the middle of the of the top six, you know, yeah, in a in a good place to be, if I'm honest with you, Justin, because I don't, you know, I think when you're when you're out in front, you can kind of get a little bit comfortable in positions like that, like you've already got it. You know, I like I like yeah. to I like to have a bit of a pursuit and a bit of a hunt, something to chase. You know. Yeah. So you like the super final then? Oh, I love super finals. Look, I mean, okay. that I think there are. If that's a question about do I like super finals, I think they're awesome because they give, you know, shooters and spectators a great insight into the best guys on earth. You know, when you get to you get to watch them in person shoot shoot targets that are exceptionally difficult to kill. You know, so it's. I think it's a great display, but also in in the second sense, they can be very very harsh because young James, you know, he was he was out in front. He shot the the highest score on that competition, um, and obviously he 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 didn't win it at the end. So they can be great fun in one sense, but very harsh in another. You know, for someone that did not attend the World Championship, which there's a lot of people that didn't, can you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, so um, it was back at EJ Churchill's, which is actually one of my uh, one of my new sponsors. Actually, we've we've uh, we've just started working together, um, so pretty special for me to 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 get the win under a new uh, ambassadorial role. But but to tell you about it, it was if anybody hasn't been to EJ Churchill's, it's it's located about thirty miles northwest of of central London. 
um, in Berkshire. Um, so it's a, it's a fantastic place. It's, it is, in my opinion, it's the best um, clay and game shooting range we have in England, we have in the UK. Um, we, we're very lucky to have um, all the shooting stands located on a very nice um, shooting range with amazing food, amazing clubhouse, an awesome shop there. Um, but also it's, it's, it's actually owned by um, a really nice gentleman called Sir Edward Dashwood, who has the uh, West Wickham estate, which is, which of the shooting ground is actually on. Um, and it's thousands of, thousands of acres of parkland on uh, hunting areas and game shoots. So it's just, we're really lucky to have that lent to us for the uh, the two courses that we shot on the sporting stands, you know. It sounds like a nice place. Oh, it's fantastic. It's, yeah. it's, your, it's, your, it's your typical English countryside, you know, rolling hills, rolling banks, nice woodlands, open fields. I mean, a, a lot of the, uh, the US guys that come over here, they absolutely – they love the place when they come over here, you know, because it's a typical British place to shoot. It's, it's fantastic, you know. Who, who set the targets and how were they? So the targets were set by two guys, um, Jamie Peckham, mm-hmm. um, who, who actually worked for Promatic for, a, for right. a, a number of years, actually. But then he's actually employed now by uh, EJ Churchill's. And he was, he was helped, I suppose you could say, they, they partnered on it by a guy called Sean Bramley, who is a British shooting legend, if you didn't know Justin. I mean, back in the day, he was one of the best shots you you would ever see. He was a contender for George back in their heyday, you know. So he was, uh, he's got a great and vast knowledge of of target setting. Um, so them two paired together was was only ever going to end one way. He was always going to get a a really nice outcome when it when it comes to the targets, and they did exactly that. The, right. the balance that they they did for the for the two courses was just exceptional. They did very very well. Was the weather good? All the conditions, wind, and everything's good. Well, it was uh, it was it was typical English weather. Uh, first first few days we got there, uh, I shot on the the Monday, sorry, the the Tuesday and the Wednesday, um, and it was it was just typical sort of warm, cloudy, slightly windy, um, and then back of the week the the weather kind of deteriorated a good bit, um, so they had more rain, more weather, which changed the the the, the targets slightly. I was told, but. Nothing too drastic. I mean, we was all we was all sort of roughly shooting the same course, you know. Um, the wind direction was the same all week, so if they got blown away, they got blown away all week. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it was it was fantastic. It was really really good. They they did it. And one thing I must say about that that we did not have one no bird. We had one. We didn't have any breakdowns at all. All our time schedules were run like with military precision. It was just, you know, Churchill's really do run things perfectly. That's one thing I do want to say for people listening out there. If you've ever been to a world championship at Churchill's, it is exceptionally run. There's never, there's never anything that goes wrong with that place because they just, they just prepare for everything, you know. What traps are they using, Mark? They're on Promatics out there. Probably it was just it was a Promatic sponsored uh, event. All right, so you've won. Uh, you hadn't just won this. You've won a lot of prestigious tournaments. Which one to date is your favorite? Oh, good question. Um, it's got to be, uh, it has to be the World Cup in Fitask. Now, I know that's not like a uh, like our, our own British titles. I mean, I've, I've won the, the English Open three times, I think, and I've won the British Open. That means a lot to me also, Justin, because it's the history on that, that trophy. I believe it goes back to, I'm sure it dates back to like 1904 or 1914 or something. Wow. So it's a seriously prestigious uh, title to win. So that was always, for as long, for far back as I can remember, really, that was the one title 
on home soil that I wanted to win. But, you know, everyone wants to win a, a world or a European. Um, I've done that. I've won a European Championship and a European Cup. Um, but the World Cup in Fitas stands out for me all the time. You know, because it's, it's, it's not just a one-off event. It's, it's a series of three events. So you have one of your, your British Grand Prix that we have over here. And then you have the international side of it, so a European and a world shoot. So it's the culmination of all three of them together on a point system. How old are you now, Mark? I am 34. That's a lot to have won being only 34. Yeah, it is. It is. And um, sometimes I have to bring myself back down to earth a little bit because, you know, you can you can really get caught up in your achievements. And, you know, I, I don't. I never hang on any of them, Justin, really. Like what what I mean by that is I'm really proud of all of my achievements, but once I've won a title, I just feel like I go back to zero again. Right. You know, so you're saying there, like I've won a lot in my 34 years of age, but I've only been true for 24 years. So I started when I was like 10. So um, my mentality towards winning titles, it's just, as, as George Digweed said, the man himself, you're only as good as your last win. And right. it's so true, you know. It's there's yep. a lot of collections of medals I've got, but you know, as soon as you've won one, it's back to back to work again, back to training, looking for the next one. Well, you almost didn't have an opportunity to win anymore. Uh, a little over a year ago, you had an accident that you probably thought was going to end your shooting career, hunting career, all of that. Uh, your shoulder, yeah. your your shoulder was severely broken, and you needed to have it rebuilt basically from the, from the ground up. How did this happen? Well, I mean. Yeah, that was. I mean, this this last this last fifteen sixteen months has been a bit of a whirlwind, really, because as you've just stated there, it was a it was a it wasn't actually a bad accident that I had. I was just I was just walking and and running and enjoying myself over like rocky ground. Um, I can't remember what day of the week it was. I think it was an evening time. Um, just as you do, you know, just enjoying the countryside, getting away from things, and uh, and yeah, just had a had a bad slip and a fall. Uh, and my shoulder actually landed on on a, on a big stone, like on a big rock, uh, as I was moving forward, and it just smashed it to smithereens. So my my collarbone was was broken into six pieces. Wow! So the 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 outer half of the collarbone was completely destroyed, uh, and my uh, the, the ligament damage was uh, very bad. Um, the the doctor said to me that that was equally as bad as the break. Um, and as you know, like ligament damage can be can be permanent. You know, your bones will always fuse and heal, um, but your ligament damage was the was the one that they was worried about. Um, so when I broke that, I was about two and a half to three miles away from the car. Wow. So yeah, not not a nice situation, you know. And I sat up uh, after I'd fallen, and, and Rachel was with me, and uh, we sat for a bit, and, and I knew something was seriously wrong because at the time I was wearing a, a jumper, like a, a blue hooded jumper. I remember it, and I put my hand into my into my shoulder to feel it because instantly my body went into shock, mm-hmm. and my whole shoulder felt like it was like cold, had no feeling in it. So when I when I put my hand in, I could feel like it felt like there was like a, a piece of metal sticking out of my my skin but it was actually the bone um so if anyone's squeamish they might want to put their hands in their ears now <laughs> now was this now was this your shooting shoulder your right shoulder uh fortunately not no it was my left shoulder okay 
Um, so that was that was the big saving grace in this. I mean, it, I was I was told by the specialist once I once I got to that uh, that stage of it that if it was the right shoulder, it definitely could have been you know hanging gloves up. That's it's game over. Um, fortunately, it was the left shoulder. But um, but when I did it, I, I knew instantly when I when I when I felt the the bone trying to push out the skin, I knew there was was something seriously wrong. You know, so what I had to do was I had to make a sling out of the jumper uh, and kind of like tie my arm to my chest and then make a real long, slow, painful walk back to the car that took me about forty odd minutes. Um, so you can imagine by the time I got back to the car, I was in a bit of a sweat. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but it was it was bad it was it was really bad you know and, and like we went straight to the hospital um walked straight in said look I'm, I'm in serious pain i need to get this looked at and they they took me up to the x-ray room got me on the x-ray and that was when i will be totally honest with you justin it brought a tear to my eye when i saw the uh the extent of the damage on the x-ray because instantly you start thinking career's finished done yeah. you know the the extent of that damage and i mean the, the x-ray when you looked at it it was just pieces of bone and pieces of all sorts of weird stuff in there everywhere you know it was a real i did a really good job on it i will i must say that how far did you fall did you just trip and fall over or did you fall down something what i mean no i, tri- I tripped and fell over but i probably fell down um so when i hit the floor i was probably i probably fell from a height of about seven or eight feet Okay. So not, I mean, nothing really, you know, it just shows you how careful you've got to be with yourself. I mean, you, the, the extent of that damage, you, the, 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 the surgeon actually said to me, my doctor said to me, um, that type of injury is, is what they would expect to see from like polo players, you know, like horse riders that would fall from height at speed. Right. Um, so it just shows you, you don't, you don't really have to be falling too far to do, to do that much damage. It was obviously just a very awkward angle. I hit the ground that. Um, and because it was it was basically rocks that I hit, there was no budging on them. They wasn't moving. So it was my body weight that actually caused the extent of the damage, you know, at, a, at obviously a, a strange angle. You, you stayed quiet on social media for a long time. Why did, why did you do that? Well, yeah, I did. I, I stayed very quiet. And if I'm honest with you, there was only about, it was my immediate family and one close friend that I told uh, after I did it. So when I came out of hospital, um, they, they obviously sent me home with a bag full of painkillers and said, look, we're going to need to arrange um, surgery because the, the specialist said to me when I was in the, in the room, he said, look, um, because obviously I explained to him, I said, look, I'm not just a, I'm not just a Joe public guy that doesn't do anything. I mean, I'm, I'm a top flight um, clay shooter, you know, and it's my career to shoot. So the more in depth we got into this conversation, the more he realized he was like, right, wow. He said, um, it's not just the case. And because obviously your, your shoulder and your, your collarbone, um, can actually heal if it's not too badly damaged. They don't have to operate. They don't have to wrap you up in anything. It will fuse on its own. But I said to him, look, the extent of this damage, I cannot be left with, uh, any type of impediment whatsoever in my movement, in my range of motion, and also my strength. Um, and we we spent we sat together for probably a good hour and twenty minutes, hour and a half, just discussing me, my career. Um, and I said, look, if I need to, I'll even go private. I don't I don't care how much this is going to cost me. It needs to be fixed and put back to one hundred and ten percent right. You know. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a scary old time because he was, he was very concerned. But do you know what was re- a real blessing in disguise? 
What's that? He was actually he was actually a shooter, the surgeon. So once we got talking, um, he, he took my name, and, and obviously he came to the realization he actually knew of me because he was a uh, he was a, he was a hunter. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't shoot too many clays, but he shoots. I say hunter. He's a he's a game shooter, and I suppose we'll explain a little bit of that later in the in the conversation. But um, he understood the dynamics um, of shooting guns. Yeah. So that helped massively. So he was he was quite excited after a while to get the operation done because he knew exactly what what I needed. You know, so it was kind of a kind of a blessing, really. Now, what did they have to do to fix it? Right. Okay. So get ready. Um, so basically, it was uh, the clavicle was broken in six pieces on the end. So the clavicle is obviously your your collarbone. So what they had to do there to open up, um, go in, and basically piece it all back together. So the 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 first the two thirds, the first two thirds from your neck to your shoulder of the collarbone was set up at about a thirty degree angle, trying to come out of the skin. So the first thing they had to do was was level that down, put it back to its normal um, sitting position, and then he ha- he basically had six very small fragments of bone um, to 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 basically put back together in the right places, and then what they did is they 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 double wrapped wire around it all to keep it all together. And then basically the, there's like a composite material. Um, it l- looks a little bit like a nylon, a very small nylon rope that is screwed down to another screw in my chest. Um, and it's basically still keeping everything up. And across the top of my um, collarbone, I've basically got like a like a spoon-shaped piece of metal um, with six screws in it that sits directly on top of my collarbone. Um, so it's all screwed back together um, and technically roped back together um while it all healed and i'm told now it's absolutely fine it is healed completely everything's bonded back together and now i'm actually looking at um getting it all taken out in maybe three four months time but i've got to cross that bridge yet so yeah it was a it was a complete rebuild as i say it was a complete rebuild the, the operation took about three and a half to four hours to do um so it wasn't it wasn't just a case of rearranging a few things it was basically rebuild me screw me back together <laughs> yeah what kind of rehabilitation did you have to go through after this uh like i mean it, obviously because it, i mean it took a long time for um so let's, let's go back a step because when once i once i'd broken the shoulder obviously i went to the hospital got x-rayed and then we had to arrange for me to go in and have the operation but this was this i actually did it on the first of april last year and um it was sorry not last was it last year Anyway, uh, 2000 and yeah, well, when, when the height of COVID just started. Right. So uh, that the 1st of April was when I did it and I had to arrange to go in to have the, the operation, but it took three weeks before I could get an operation slot because the, the COVID-19 cases were just running straight into this hospital. You know, their, their numbers of the influx of patients was crazy. So they actually had, had to cancel my operation three times. Um, before I had to go back in because obviously I wasn't technically um, important at the side of COVID, you know, I just had a broken shoulder. Um, So they had to kind of slot me in. Um, So I had to live with a broken shoulder for just under three weeks. Wow. So the the pain of it, honestly, it it was the longest three weeks of my life. You know, you've got to remember like any movement that you make, whether it's sitting down, standing up, breathing, 
sneezing, anything like that. All that movement goes through the center of your torso. So I was, I was like constantly, I was in constant pain for three solid weeks. I mean, I think I slept about 10 hours in three weeks. It was just horrific. It was awful. So after it was fixed, when did the pain stop? Did it, I mean, did it just continue on until it was healed all the way? Yeah. So I, I kind of got, your body's an amazing thing, right? So, so obviously the pain was there a lot, but the, the, the further time went on, uh, before I went into the operation, you kind of just get used to it being there. Obviously I had painkillers to help me in the night and things, but you just kind of get used to it being there and your, your mind kind of learns to deal with it. Um, so then I went in for the operation and then as a, as it was all sorted, I, I came out the next day. So I went in at about 11 o'clock uh, and I was actually home by 8.30 that same evening um, because they didn't want me to stay in hospital because of obviously the, the, the influx of COVID patients. It was just in and out, get, you know, get me done, get me out. Um, so then when I got home, uh, the doctor specifically said to me, he said, look, you, Mark, you, you've got to take this absolutely seriously. He said, you, you're going to be bored out of your brain for, for weeks. He said, look, the first two weeks from you leaving this, this hospital, he said, I need you to stay on the, on the settee, on the sofa, or in, in a comfy chair for two solid weeks, and I don't want you to move. Because obviously the, the, my recovery all depended on how much my body could restitch and rebuild everything. You know, so obviously a slight knock or if I got up, you know, to get a drink or whatever and I slipped to uh, maybe bang my shoulder on a, on a doorway or anything simple like that. He said, everything is all screwed in. So it has to, it has to rebuild very slowly. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a tough time. So, I mean, did the, the first two weeks out of hospital was definitely the most boring two weeks of my entire life. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, so, so many, so many books you can read, so many films you can watch, you know, um, but it was one of them. I just had to put it first. I had to put my whole life to one side. Um, and, and going back to keeping it a secret, um, nobody even really knew until I came out of hospital. I, I think I told, I started to tell people, um, that were fairly close to me probably about a week after coming out of hospital. So I was, I was broken for a whole month and nobody really knew. You know, because obviously it, it was it was such a severe accident that I had, and it was it was still in that limbo, in that limbo thing where it's like, do you tell people? You know, do you keep it quiet? People are going to start talking. You know, his his career's over. He's finished. You know, so I spoke. I told my sponsors. Of course, they needed to know, um, and the support instantly from them was unbelievable. It was like, Mark, whatever you need. You know, as much time as you need. Whatever you need, you've got to do it. We'll stand by you. So that was that was quite warming, really. You know, why did why did you keep it quiet again? I just kept it quiet because it was. Um, I, I mean, in life, Justin, I'm quite a private person anyway. Right. Um, I don't. I don't feel like there's anything wrong with anyone being quite public. Yeah, I'm just not that type of person. I like my private life to be yeah. private, you yeah. know, um, yeah. because obviously I spend my time being so public in the public eye as all the, all the top guys do, you know, every, all eyes are on you all the time. People watching you, watching you shoot, what you eat, where you go, what you do, you know, so I like to have my own separate life as well. And I suppose at the, on the flip side of it, it was probably, I was just probably worried of the realization of it, Justin, you know, cause it really, it really took me back. I thought I, I know no other than shooting, you know? Right, so if yeah. my career really is over, I really don't want to, where do you start with it? 
how do you start with it? You know, so it was quite, it was a quite a tough time mentally as well. I mean, physically I could put up with a lot of pain. You just, you just crack on, you get on with it, don't you? It's, it's one of them things, but mentally it really knocked me back. You know, it was a, it was a real tough stage in my life. At what point did you realize that it was not career ending? How long did that take? How long did you have to think about it? Maybe. And then when did you realize it wasn't? So I was given, um, three weekly, um, appointments. Uh, so after, so after the initial two weeks out of the op, um, my, my specialist was in contact with me like twice a week, just seeing how I'm getting on, you know, just making sure I was sticking to the rules that he'd set, you know? Um, and then they set me a, uh, an appointment. I think it was, I'm sure it was about three to four weeks after, uh, that two week period was up when he said, look, okay, you can start to move around a little bit, you know, do make sure you're getting yourself a little bit of exercise done. Just, just walking, just walking around the house. You know, I, I technically wasn't allowed to go out. He said, I don't want you to go out. I don't want you to trip on anything. You've got to take this seriously. So, um, after that, that period was up, I went to York, um, hospital to see the, the the specialist over there and they just constantly put me through x-rays and had a look at the scar and started to take the uh, the sling off and he was just he would just basically lay me down on the bed and just hold me by my wrist and my elbow and just slowly lift and just very gently get my arm moving again because it sat still for in the sling for about about three to four weeks and I wasn't allowed to take it out yeah. So it was it was horrific. So when he started moving it, the pain down my arm. Can you imagine keeping your arm still for a whole month? No. You know, it, it was yeah, it was awful. I mean, the muscle wastage around my shoulder, it was it was awful. It was horrific. It, it went. I think I lost about 40 percent of the mass on my left side of my body, where it was just sat still for so long. It's it's surprising how quickly your muscle uh, will waste away if it's not used. You know, yeah. So just building initially, building that that back up when he started to tell me to, he just basically gave me small exercises to do at home. You know, just letting my arm hang on its own weight, and then just putting it out in front of me on its own own, own weight, and just moving it around slowly. You know, getting it back to starting the process off. How long did it take before you could pick up a shotgun again? Was it a long time, or I mean, you was out for over a year? I was out for a good. Well, I was out for a good time. Um, so from from leaving the hospital uh, after the operation to firing my first shot was four and a half months, wow. which is, which is amazingly quick. Yeah. Amazingly yeah. quick. Cause the doctor said to me, he said, look, he said, it, it all depends. It's such a, it's such a unique thing to your body because obviously you might not heal as fast as I and, and, uh, and others, you know, so it all depends on your, your general health. And um, so I'm not a smoker, very rarely a drinker. Um, when I do drink, it's not a lot anyway. I don't smoke, so I keep myself in in, in reasonably good shape all the time. Um, so that that served me well. But there was um, there was a big change in my diet, a big change. I mean, I was I was trying to eat everything. I mean, it, we we actually got some of this stuff. Um, it was it was like cow collagen. So it was like collagen peptides and it tasted like absolute shit if I'm honest with you. It was awful. <laughs> but it was it was necessary for my bone to get all the all the all the all the minerals and all the uh, all the things it needs to rebuild, you know. So it was basically a powder you put into like a like a water and you I drank it like three times a day and it was like it was awful. It was it was horrific. So someone sometimes you just gotta do what's necessary, right? Yeah, well I'm sure if you're around Rachel, she'll have you plenty of food, that's for sure. 
Yeah, she found some of these uh, these stages quite funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, getting her own back on me. So how, when you got back into shooting, what kind? Of, I mean, did it hurt to shoot? Did it feel odd once once you started shooting again regularly? So the the specialist said to me, he said, "I want you to start um, to 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 do some dry mounting at home with the gun after a certain stage." I mean, I went through about three or four X rays before he was actually happy. Um, because obviously I had a complete, my, my, my collarbone had a complete divide that it had to restitch so that the gap between the two points of the bone was about five millimeters and you could see it on the, on the x-ray and it's, it's unbelievable how it, how it stitches back together and how quickly it happened, you know? So he was, he was constantly monitoring that. Um, and he said, look, I don't want you to pick anything up at all with your left side until a certain point. And then once he was happy with my strength, I did a few resistance tests with him um, at the at the clinic there. Um, and then he said, look, you, you're good to go. You're ready to start picking the gun up again. Um, not to fire it, of course. It was just, I started, I've got a couple of um, smaller guns in there. I've got a little 410, but I started off, you know, just to get the, the motion going. And then we slowly moved up to the 12 bore, um, got, some, got some more weight going. Um, and then he said to me, look, do you need to shoot? That was his next question. He said, how badly do you need to shoot? And I said, look, it, it, COVID's absolutely ruined the sport for everybody. It was, it was in lockdown. So no shooting was going on, Justin. So it was kind of the best time to really do it, you know, if there is ever a best time to smash yourself to pieces. Right. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was one of them things where it was just I didn't need to shoot. So I was in no rush. So I just took my time. And then he said to me one day, he said, look, I feel like you could – you could fire a gun now. So we started off with some 21 gram cartridges, real light loads. Right. Um, and it was one that I can tell you now, the first time that I fired, I was thinking, is everything going to fall to pieces? Is it all going to come undone? Is my arm going to fall off? You know, all these bad thoughts that go through your mind. Right. But once I fired that first shot, I didn't feel a thing. I did not feel a thing. And then I fired another shot and then we carried on. I think I fired about 20 to 30 rounds in the day of 21 grams. Um, and yeah, it was like I'd never been away. So the extent of the damage um, was 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 terrible, but it was just amazing how quickly, if you get your diet really nailed down and you and you take on everything that you need, your body can heal so quickly. I mean, four and a half months from the extent of the damage to firing a shotgun again, the, the doctor said he said you're you're you have healed so quickly. He was expecting a good six to eight months. You probably didn't miss a beat when you started shooting again, did you? It was probably just like you just took a break. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because I mean, after I shot, I mean, I, I wasn't the first time I fired the gun. I fired at nothing. I just fired it up in the air. You know, there was no target flying. Right. I just wanted to really just see what happened. Um, but no, as soon as I got, as soon as, as soon as we started sending clays, they was I was dusting them up like 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 I'd never been away. So your mind and your your body were will always you never forget. Like riding a bike, right? You never forget how to shoot something, but. It was the the one thing that I was worried about is the, is the high angles, you know, lifting the gun for like a high driven target. That was the one that I was thinking that that, that may take a little bit of time, you know, because I did try to get the gun up at about a 45 degrees and it started to resist me a little bit. But it was just baby steps. It was a case of just take your time, you know, don't overdo it. In, not in no rush. As I say, COVID destroyed all our, our competitions over here. So no, there was no comps going on. So I just took my time with it and, and went once a week and just slowly slowly got back to some kind of normality with it you know yeah did your coaching uh, did it start back up about the same time you started shooting 
No, because we we was all still locked down okay. um, for for a good while. But obviously, it was yeah. When we was allowed out, I was still very much not fixed. So, I mean, I, I did start that coaching, and uh, I was kind of walking around with my arms still in a sling sometimes when I was when I was coaching. But I was still able to do that. Obviously, my shooting just took a back seat, but I still got to take care of all my clients, you know. So soon, they was all completely understanding. They supported me so much. They was all like, "Well." We'll wait. We'll, as long as you need, we'll wait. You know. So, yeah. the support that I got from it was was very humbling. You know, nobody, nobody at any point took it, uh, it the other way. It was all uh, if we could do anything, if you need anything, take as much time as you want. It was it was really nice to see the support I got from it. You know. Well, it don't look like that it bothered you at all at the World Championship. So <laughs> there you go. I was talking earlier. Oh, wow. I, I was talking earlier. I said you need to break your other one now. <laughs> yeah well do you know what i'd rather not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this is the thing that you know people don't see the bits that you go through they're like oh mark you broke your shoulder that was that's horrific and it's like you're back to normal now right you're all good and it's like yeah but they didn't see the 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 the, the 10 10 to 12 months of of hard graft hard work that i had to do you know just daily exercises constantly keeping my arm moving you know just getting it just working it there was a lot of work that people would you, you, you look i'm a quite a private guy so I, i'm not one to put everything all over social media i never have been but you know hard work is done when no eyes are on you right that's right you coach but you you don't just coach clay shooting you also coach people for game shooting what, what is the difference i just want to know what the difference is in the two so the difference is obviously one is you know you know mostly it's 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 clay shooting competitive shooting whether that be at um, CBA class or double A triple A or the highest of the, the, the top guys you know I coach at all levels mm-hmm. um, I kind of we we, we kind of leave the the, the the basic beginners to to club coaches you know it's, it's kind of like two steps ahead of themselves so i don't really do much of that i'll do it for friends but but mainly it's my coaching is consistent of like very high level clay shooting and obviously when the with the, with the game shooting side of it um that is live shooting so as we spoke before we have grouse shooting over here we have pheasant and partridge shooting pigeon shooting we have all sorts of, of, of cool stuff and and i do join people in the field when they are hunting you, know, you give them advice on good shots, bad shots, how they can make things better. But also, Justin, it's uh, it's not just a divide between the two. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you'll have a client that will that will call you sort of two two months before the shooting season opens, and they will want to get brushed back up on high birds. So you'll take them to a clay ground, get them under a tower that could be anything up to thirty feet to one hundred and twenty feet. You know, and you just you you prepare them for the day they go out and shoot their live their live game so and then obviously you join them in the field while they are hunting their their live game and um, because it's it can be quite 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 interesting to see the client shoot under pressure yeah. you know because a, a bird flies different from a clay bird right so so th- different things happen in different environments yeah so they're the two they're the two main main things that i coach on but um it's seasonal because obviously clays never stop even when it's hunting season or game season um the the clay guys are flat out at it getting ready for the next season so it's it never stops it's not it's not like clay shooting stops and, and game season takes over it's always a perfect mix through the hunting season so um it's quite difficult to balance your time you know i need to be in three places at once sometimes <laughs> let's let's go into your shooting how you do things 
you know, maybe how you mm-hmm. set up for the shot or how you, how, how you get ready for everything. What, what's, what do you focus on the most? So I, I've, I've spent years, I mean, I, I've been shooting for 20 to about 24 years now and I, it, it takes a long time to get physically in good shape. And when I, when I say physically in good shape with this game, that that is the whole package. I mean, as we talk from from your feet up to your head, to your hands, to your gun mount, to your balance, to the flex in your feet and your and your knees, you know. So it, it takes a hell of a long time to get real good at this game, consistently good with your own game. So for me, I've I've spent a lot of years. Um, I, look, I don't have any kind of set practice sessions. Uh, I just go out and work on what I what I feel I need to improve on. You know, so so for me, your stance and your getting to know your body and how it moves and how it works is a is a is I think it's quite overlooked in this game. You know, people always want to talk about how to shoot a target with pull away or swing through, or they want to talk about the mental game or certain targets need certain methods used on them. I think it is massively overlooked when it comes to the body and the mechanics of shooting really is overlooked. I mean, the, the, the amount of shooters that come for lessons with me and we can sometimes spend an hour, two hours, you know, getting their body to change in certain ways for the better. You know, so when it comes to my own shooting, I'm a, I've spent a long time mastering a, a style of shooting that is very, very unique to me that I know that works, that I can depend on, whether I'm shooting fit ask or sporting. Um, so I, I'm, I'm always looking to improve wherever I can, you know. The stance, what kind of, st- I mean, when you talk about stance, what do you kind of, it, it, kind of explain that? So my, my, when I talk about the stance is like it, that it, when you, when you say you look at pictures of various different shooters, they've all got their own style. Um, and their stance would be typically, I mean, some guys are really aggressive, you know, they're really, really bent in the knees and they're really, really far forward with the gun. Um, and, and I, I kind of take a more of an upright, relaxed, natural position you know, because I like to be kind of fluid in my in my shooting. And as we just spoke about there with core rotation and your body needs to be like I really have trained hard to to to, to eradicate any any stiffness and any rigidity in my body, like in my elbows, my knees, my hips, my back. I like my whole body to feel like well, fluidity is the perfect word, to be very fluid through my movements. I don't like to feel like I'm making any brash movements because if you've got any tensity in any part of your body, that will upset the whole the whole activity that you're moving. You know, if you've got like a tense back or your your shoulders are too tight, you're gripping the gun too tight, that will that will show its ugly head somewhere else in the shot, you know? Yeah. So so for me personally, I work a hell of a lot with my students to get them to be to build their own their own technique, you know, their own style of how they stand. Um, but my own set, my own, my own style of, of shooting is quite an upright, very loose um, attitude towards it. You know, there's not a lot of tensity in my body. How important do you feel? You're talking about the mental aspect of it a minute ago. How important do you feel the mental aspect is when it comes to clay shooting? I think is everything. Listen, at the end of the day, we, we all we can all get to a certain part of our career where we can shoot a target just as good as the man stood next to us. Right. You know, it's not actually that difficult learning to shoot targets, is it? Once you've got the, the core basics all nailed down, you can shoot a target. But the mental side of it is uh, what I class as the emotional side of it, which is very, very tough to, to get a handle on, you know. Yeah. Because as I say, you know, it's an act to shoot a target. 
but emotionally, when you put emotions with acts, uh, it's it's a different ball game. It's a different ball game. Like when you come to super finals, I've I've been in tons of them, so many of them in my lifetime, as others have, and with with very different people, with lots of different people from all over the world, and I kind of enjoy my time within them because you not only can you learn from others. Um, because I don't think you ever stop learning in this game, um, but you can actually see what what pressured environments do to people um, in them in them situations, you know. Um, and I really really enjoy being in them because you can see some people they thrive on pressure, some people they fold on pressure. So it's um, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about the mental side of it. It's a massive deal, you know. You've really got to work hard when you get to a certain part of your career. Uh, you've really got to work hard on becoming very very rounded and very tough in situations like that. But like I liken it to becoming very um, emotionally detached. Yeah. You know, so I've, I've worked very hard to, to, to dampen my emotions down that I feel. So pressure, uh, fear, anxiety before a shoot off. There was a time um, years ago where they would be, them, them feelings would be so heightened that, you would make stupid decisions, you know, like you'd shoot the target the completely, the complete wrong way with the wrong method that you want to shoot it in. You know, you'd shoot things earlier, you'd hang on to things longer. Um, so yeah, I mean, learning from them bad times when, when I messed up, should I say, you build yourself to a point where you can, you can, I think you've got to become emotionally detached to be real tough in them environments. Like I feel pressure, of course I do, but I can park it, I can box it. You know, and I can and I could use it to my to my to my advantage sometimes. You know, at the super final you were just in, yeah. I mean, you have to be focused. What helps you the most to stay focused in that situation? Just just doing, just really working on the basics and concentrating on the basics of your shooting. As I said, like you, everybody knows how to handle them situations. Once they've done it four or five times over, you get you get comfortable with them situations. But for me, I just. I just really work on the basics of shooting, you know, just get that whole point right. Make sure that you've made the decision 100% right of what purge you're going to take first in the sim pair or that left to right crosser needs a pull away, that right to left quarter in bird needs a swing through, you know, just the basic stuff because I'm a, I'm a great believer of when, when you're under pressure, you can make really stupid decisions. You know, you can do things that are like, well, why the hell did I do that? What a right. stupid thing to do because you're not in control of your mind and your body, you know. So I just make sure that I concentrate on raw basics, get all my footwork right, you know, take my time, use my time in there. I make it my time. So a couple of the guys, I won't mention any names, but a couple of the guys that I shot with against in this uh, in this recent shoot-off, you could see they, they started to take birds a lot quicker. Uh, they was loading the gun quicker. They was calling pull quicker. You know, I go the other way. I slow right down. I take my time. Even if I've got to just mount the gun three or four times to get comfortable for a call pull, you know, you've got that. That's where in them situations you've really got to take control of them. You know, because if you lose yourself in that moment, in that stand, in that one stand, that world title is gone from your hands immediately. If you drop three pairs in a row because you've completely mentally broke down in that situation, it's game over. Yeah, yep. you know it's, it's gone. All that hard work through the whole week waiting for that last them last few shots on a Sunday is 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 wasted. So that's where you've got to really take your time, use your time, and if it, if you've got to, you've got you, you've got to do what you've got to do. You know, you know Tom C. I know Tom. Yeah, 
you you two would be perfect in a squad because he takes about 30 minutes every time he goes to pull the trigger. <laughs> and it sounds like you may take a while too. Well, I've said to give him a nickname, Take Your Time Tom. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a, he's a great guy. I, I, I like Tom. We, we speak quite a bit on uh, on Messenger and on Instagram. I mean, he, he recently had an accident, didn't he, with his yeah. arm? So he was he was picking my brains for advice, and I was I was happy to help, you know. But, um, no, I, I like Tom. He's a, he's a great kid, you know. Well, and, again, he in the future, going to be a, a big a big hitter for sure. You yeah. Know? Well, Tom fell off a motorcycle. <clears throat> You know, you were walking and tripped and fell. He fell off a motorcycle. And he never, he's never been on one. So yeah, he, he's one. He's his he, accident's a bit more glamorous than mine, isn't it? I mean, it's going for a stroll in a park and I break my shoulder. Like, what's going on there? You know? Yeah. I wish he had a GoPro on his helmet just to watch it all. You yeah. Know? Well, look, look, I've I've shot out of helicopters. You know, done some crazy stuff, and 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 you know, I go for a walk in a park and I come back half broken. What's going on there? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> So let's move on to the CPSA, which is the NSCA is over here in the U.S. and the CPSA is over there. What the difference is, the main difference I want to talk about is, is the classification system and okay. and how it works there. How does it work? I've heard, but I don't know. And do you think it works? It's a very good question. And it's and it's not a touchy subject, but it, it, it comes up a lot amongst our shooters over here about like, um, so, so you, your classification is done, you know, to get your, your, your first initial classification is done over three shoots, uh, at your entry level to, to our classification system. And then every year they release the classifications again, and that's when you get classed. So obviously you, you might, you might come in at a B class level, and then you'll shoot for a year and then you might actually be cl- cl- uh, classified as like a double A shooter, you know? So every year they, 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 they take a collection of all your CPSA registered shoots and they roughly put you an average out there, which then classifies you in a certain category. Okay. okay. But this is, this is the thing with our systems. Okay. And, and I, I would imagine it's quite similar all over the world, but let's say that I were in this little, town that i live in up here in yorkshire there's a, there's not many shoots around um but we're very lucky actually so ej churchill's just touch on this quickly um ej churchill's actually just um just bought an, a ground up here in the north in the north of england so they actually have two grounds in england now one called ej churchill's at west wickham and this one is called ej churchill's at the swinton estate in your in north yorkshire okay so that's that's the main ground that i shoot uh, up here i'll shoot that uh once uh, sorry uh, once every second week uh, i shoot sport trap there and sporting and then there's another little small range near me it's only about 15 minutes around the corner from my house Uh, and i go there and i shoot with the guys just with friends and shoot some sporting and sport trap and sometimes some more round and so they're really the two grounds that i shoot all the time Mm -hmm. you know so let's say that i get really comfortable with them places and i'm banging in real high scores um, you're going to get classified off of them type of targets that they set there. So let's say that one ground sets really easy shoots, and then down in the south of England, there's other guys that are shooting at really hard shoots. You know, the, the high gun's one on, say, 90, and say the, the high gun that's that's one up here is one on, like, a 99. There's a little bit of a... Um, we talk about this quite a lot. So how is that a fair classification across the whole country? You know, if some targets, there's a group of people shooting some targets that are stupidly hard. And then there's a group of people that are shooting crazy, easy targets. You're kind of getting classified in the same area of a different level of targets, if that makes sense. Right. So uh, I think what they should do is, is classify. It's, look, it's my idea. I, I think they should classify people off of major events. 
you know so because then you get the whole country going they flock to these one shoot the the english open they all shoot that classify all the shooters off of the high gun score at that shoot and then do the same at the british open the clay shooting classic the essex masters whatever all the way across the country and then you get an actual true classification system you know yeah um, because some people are so caught up on their averages, like they're, they're, they're really proud of themselves because their average is like 95 point. But to me, it means nothing. You've just got to win every time you go out shooting. Yeah, right? yeah it doesn't matter. To that's the, the way guy. I see it. It doesn't matter to the guys that win because they're going to. No, exactly. You could put them yeah, exactly. in, in B class and they wouldn't care as long as they win, you know. Exactly. And, and yeah. look, there is some people out there that play the game, as I'm sure they play it over there. They, they keep themselves in lower classes for the prize money and that. And I think that mentality is just stupid, you know. Yeah. Like, why would you Why would you purposely keep yourself down? You know, that's a defeatist mentality. Yeah. No, I, I had. I, I'll never mention any names. I had. A, I had a client of mine that actually told me that he was doing that, um, unbeknown to me. He said uh, he was a student of mine at the time, and I said to him you need to stop that right now. I mean, that's just such a defeat. He was like, yeah, but you know, I could, I could win some prize, man. I'm like, you need to stop that right now. I said, you're, you're mentally keeping yourself capped. You know, you're so, you're so much better than that. You know, let your, let your scores maximize. Don't stop yourself at like an 80 to keep yourself in say a class or, or B class, you know, just for a little bit of prize money. There's no money in this game anyway at, at Sunday shoots. You know, and and I really pulled him into line with that. I said, "Look, you really need to stop that." I said, "Because all the work you're doing with me is absolutely pointless." You know, if you're just not letting your 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 talent flourish, you know. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's what I mean with our classification system. It's great in one respect, but I think it needs it should be looked at. It should be changed, in my opinion. So if if there's a B shooter, and say that's I don't know what the average is there, seventy five, and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next year he averages ninety five. Is he going to get immediately put in the triple A? Yeah, they push you. They push you straight up from your from your averages. Uh, okay, yeah. See here, you got to work mm. your way up through the punch system until you get to right. master, master class. What what is the uh, what is the master class over there? The the averages of that. Well, they're they're all over the place. And that's what's weird about it is you can take somebody in master class and they can go shoot the national championship and shoot. Uh, say it's a 300 target event that they could shoot 150 and still be in master class. Or then the guy that wins, it's going to shoot, you know, 295. So oh, wow. if he, okay. pun- if he, if he punches into master class by shooting uh side event, sub gauge events or something like that, he can punch mm-hmm. up in class, which they stopped. Now, now, right. you, now you can't shoot sub gauge and earn punches to move you up in class. It's defeatist. It's, it's such a, you know, the way I've, my, my mind has always been the same and nobody ever taught me this. It was just, I don't know if it's just how I'm, how I'm built or what, but I've just always looked at the top guy. Even when I was a junior, Justin, even when I was like shooting 14, when I was like 14, 15, 16, you know, I was, I was, I was shooting eighties, solid eighties all the time, but I was only ever looking at the top. I didn't care if I was in juniors. I just looked at who's winning today, right? George Digby's won it on a 98. And then you get Richard Folds has put in an, a, a 99. I'll be like, that's where I want to be. I want to be right. where them guys are. Like I didn't get genuinely, I didn't care about winning junior titles. I just even, I mean, cause our junior um, age went from 18 to, to 21 uh, as I was coming up through the ranks. So I had an influx of juniors come back in when they'd already left from that, that 18 age. Uh, so I had to do battle with quite a lot of the older guys, but I, you know, I put, I put my, I put my sights so far past them 
um, that I was I was a I was a good junior shot. I mean, I, I won so much when I was when I was young because I was just putting my I was setting my sights at the very very top. I just saw clay shooting as a numbers game. You know, I just need to shoot as many flying targets as I can in a hundred bird sporting or hundred and fifty bird sporting or whatever. You know, my, right. I, I go out every week to shoot a hundred straight. Every single time I go out, I go out to shoot a hundred straight. It doesn't always happen, you right. know, but that's where I've always set myself that that bar, you know. So I think that's where you build that you build that mental resilience up by either thinking that way. Or if you think the other way, or I'm going to keep my average down so I win C class this week, you're just holding yourself back all the time. Yeah, you know. So I just uh, that's how I've always thought in clay shoe, and it still is no different from how I started. I just go out to shoot as many clays as I can. That's I keep it simple, you know. That's most of the good shooters that I've <laughs> talked to have said the same thing. They're going to look at the top, see who's really, winning, and that's where they want to be. Uh, the problem or the difference is when you have a C class shooter that knows he can't win. He just looks at his class. You see what yeah. I'm saying? I mean, he knows he can't shoot a 93 or 95 or whatever it's going to take to win. So he's just going to start looking at his class and see if he wins that. And the guys over here that do win it, they, they're, they're proud of themselves, which is good. But you still think that some somebody in that class should still look at that top-level guy, so that's what I'm going to catch this weekend. I think that's how everybody should think. I mean, you, you just said it there, that guy that knows that he can't shoot a 93, well, he needs to change the way he's thinking. Yeah. If he's always thinking to himself, well, I'm not, I ain't, I'm not good enough. Right, I'll tell you a quick story, right? Okay, right, so right. Um, the World Sporting just down here that, um, that I won last week. Mm -hmm. So I've got a, a student of mine. I, as I say, I, I won't say any names because I'm not sure if they want to feature on this or not. But he, he's been having lessons with me for probably about six months now. Um, him and his father come along. And his father's a great shot, but he, he kind of just enjoys being with his son. Um, and his son's a very good shot, you know, real humble guy, quiet guy, not not the most confident of persons, you know, but, you know, that's my job to, over time, I'm going to build on that. I'm going to try and bring him out of his shell. Um, and I said to him, look, I said, Do you, are you sure, have you booked into the World Championships in, in three, this was like three or four weeks before the event? And he kind of looked straight through me in shock that I'd even asked him that. Okay, so, and he kind of looked at me and went, I, no, I'm, I'm not good enough to enter that. So, so straight away, I said to him, why not? Yeah. I said to him, you, you, would, you will be better than 75% of the field there. And he's like, no way. Like, looked at me as if to say, like, what, you believe in me that much? And I was like, I was like yeah, yeah, absolutely. I said, well, look, put it this way. You will now have to wait another two years because he's not going to go to America next year, okay? Right. So I said, you're going to have to wait another two years for a world championship to come around for you to enter it. I said, why not just enter it now? He's never entered a, an English Open. It was his very first, it was his very first major event. So he was kind of a bit like starstruck by the event. It was a bit like, oh, it's a world championship. I can't be doing that. And it, it's, a, it's a big, big amount of money to enter. Um, I said, look, scrub the money. You know, it, it's coming around once, once in, a, in a blue moon. You've got to do it. So I kind of like pushed him into it. And he said, uh, I think it was about a week after we had had the conversation at the shooting ground, I got a message from him. Mark, I've entered the World English. And I was like so proud that he actually took that first step, right? right. And this is, this is awesome, this bit coming up. He won the B-class category in the World Championship. And he didn't even think he was good enough to even enter that shoot. Yeah. And he won B-class. How cool is that? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. How awesome is that? You know he I mean, felt was, good. It, Oh man, honestly, and he came up to me after I won the the, the, the super final because he watched it, and he came up to me and he was like, 
you could see in his eyes that the happiness in his mind that he'd achieved something. It was his first major title that he'd even attempted to win. And he's won his world B class. So I was so proud of him, you know, and, and it was because I pushed him into it and I believed in him that he did it. Yeah. You know, so I see him shoot in the, in the physical form and he's awesome. He's a, he's a fantastic shot, but mentally he just thought he wasn't, he, he, he kind of just thought he shouldn't be there. No, I can't enter that. I'm nowhere near good enough. Yeah. So this is, this just shows you in this game, it's, it's, it's what you tell yourself over a period of time. And if you tell yourself for long enough that you're not good enough, you start to believe it and that will hold you back. And if, if he didn't, if he didn't come to me to, for lessons and I hadn't told him to enter, how many other people out there are holding themselves back yep. that are absolutely talented to achieve and, and become somebody and achieve things in this sport? Yep. So it is, you know, every, anybody listening out there that, that thinks they're not good enough, it's only you that thinks that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's only inside your skull that them thoughts are going off. Like nobody ever looks at you and thinks, oh, he's not good enough because they don't really know you. You know, it's, it's your own, if your own brain and mind that, that prevents you from doing things. So that was quite a cool story that I wanted to, yeah. to cover because, you know, go out there, get it done, you know, get started, get moving. I have a friend of mine that just started shooting and he said, what's the first tournament we're going to go to? I said, we're going to the U S open. And he said, well, I don't, I don't, same thing. I don't need to go there. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> I said, I said, yeah, you do. So he went with us and he had a, a blast and now everything else he goes to, he thinks is smaller. So there you it, go. Yeah. It, it makes his, yeah. it makes him think, well, I'm going to do really good here. Cause I did this at the U S open, you know? So exactly all it matters when you tell yourself you can go out there and do it. Even, you know, of course it is. And for me, if I go out there and just have fun, I seem to shoot a lot better. Like if I yeah. just if I just go to have fun and I, I I keep that mindset, I shoot better. If I go out there thinking yeah. I got to win this today or I got to do this today, then I'm going to shoot bad. That's just me. So just go out there and have fun. Do it. Well, that's it. It's your it's your own thoughts, isn't it? And I and I yep. and I really try and keep that. I work very hard on keeping that fine balance of keeping myself grounded. Like obviously, I know who I am. I know what I've achieved in this this sport for for however many years I've been doing it. But I always keep myself grounded. You know, I don't see myself as like the world's best now because I've won the world championship. I just see myself as Mark Windsor who shoots clays. And I keep it very simple because I don't go out there. It's a job. Of course, it is a job to me. It's become a job. You know, I'm a, I'm a coach that coach people. But I also, I've still got lots of years left in my own personal career. And I'm really trying to find that balance between achieving and working hard at my job, but also still enjoying it. You know, and as you just said there, Justin, when I go down to the World Championship or I fly across to America or Europe to, to shoot a European or a World Fit Ask, I don't go to just punish myself. I go to enjoy myself, but of course I want to win. And it's finding that perfect balance of not just falling too far to the left and being like, I need to win this and then destroying yourself with pressure. You've got yeah. to keep that perfect mix of just enjoying shooting clay targets, loving the game that you started all those years ago just to have fun, yeah. but still knowing that you're capable of winning an event. You know, it's yeah. it's the perfect balance that you've got to work hard on trying to get. Why didn't you make it to the FITAS shoot? You don't want to go shoot World task No, I mean, I, I love FITAS. I'll be honest with you, I, I, I love FITAS um, more than sporting, if I'm honest with you. But um, obviously the, the COVID restrictions were a big deal for us. I think that's why I've, I've, a lot of the American guys couldn't come to England because of the quarantining. Um, so when I when I would, so after I come back from Hungary, if I did go, 
I'd have to self-isolate for, I think it's 10 days and I can't afford to do that. I'm, my, my diary's busy. I can't afford to not do anything for 10 days. So unfortunately I had to, you know, park that and box it for this year. Yeah. Um, so hopefully next year we will be all good to go. So that was the sole reason. I mean, I love Hungary as well. Hungary is one of my favorite places to shoot on earth. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the, I did hear the targets were awesome. So I've missed out there, but COVID again. Yep. God damn COVID. <laughs> I wish it would go away. Be done with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So are, are you coming to the U.S. for the world championship next year? Absolutely, yeah. I'm coming out there. I haven't been out to the U.S. for a good number of years now. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely. I will be there. San Antonio, right? Yep. That's where it's at. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be there, definitely. Yeah. So what's next for you? What are you doing next? Big tournament? Next. What's, what's going on? Yeah. yeah, shooting the next the next big tournament um, for for me will be the British Open up here at the new Swinton Estate that EJ Churchills have. So that's a big deal for me. It's um, it's the first major event that they've held because that ground's only been open for just over a year now, um, and they have plowed a lot of uh, money into that ground and turned it around. It's a beautiful ground uh, right in the heart of Yorkshire, very natural. So that's the that's the next big competition that I'm actually booked into. And that's the first uh, the first five days, the first week in September. So not that long to go now, really, just over a month. Right. You'll be ready for it, aren't you? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try. It'd be nice to win it on, on home soil, you know. Oh, but yeah. um, I've just got to, yeah, as I say, th- this is how my mind works. I, I've, I've won the World Championship uh, just, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I've already left that behind now. I've already moved on from that. I mean, the trophy, I'm sat here looking at the trophy now. It's just across the room from me. Um, but I just... Yeah, that's that's the first one done. So the next thing's the British. It's next mission accomplished on this one. So and we start we start practicing soon for the for the next one. That's how it just works. It's one after the other. Keep attacking them. Before I let you go, run through your sponsors real quick. Yeah, sure. So I, 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 I'm a I'm a big Krieger sponsor. I've been with them for about thirteen or fourteen years now. And um, so that I mean that's look that is the biggest part of of my equipment obviously is the gun you know no gun no shooting um and equally the same with cartridges but um so so Kriegoff and Gameball are the two main sponsors for me um but I'm also sponsored by Promatic and Peeler uh, I don't have anything for my 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 ear protection I just use normal normal moss for them but um Last but not least is EJ Churchill's. I've just took a venture with them. Uh, they've been friends with with Rob Fennick and Sir Edward Dashwood for many years now. Um, and we've just took on a, an ambassadorial role for them. So I'm really excited what that's going to bring. So it was really important to me to win the the World Championship in the uh, in our first partnership, if you like, down there. So it was it was great. So they're my sponsors, and I and I really appreciate everything they do to me, do for yeah. me. You know, so it's. Yeah, very lucky guy. You know, you work very hard to 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 be approached by people like that. You know, um, yeah. and sponsorship doesn't come easy. You know, people people do do tend to feel like they're they're owed sponsorship, but you've got to earn it. You know, and I spent years and years and years earning mine. Yeah. So, work hard gets you places. Well, listen, I know it's late where you're at, and I appreciate you coming on, Mark. And hopefully, uh, you do well at the British Open, and and we'll uh, we'll catch you on some other time. Yeah, awesome. I really appreciate it, Justin. And uh, yeah, let's do it again sometime. All right, bud. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Justin. See you soon.